we're going to continue our series on the prayer that God hears. Um, today we're going to talk about a passage in Philippians that is kind of a, a salutary passage. Paul is getting ready to say his goodbyes, his last statements to the church at Philippi. And he's, <clears throat> he's, he's trying to instruct them on how they com should communicate with God. So turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us as we study. <clears throat> Paul is trying to give us some etiquette on prayer. When I was growing up, it was a big deal to make sure that your children ate properly. Mama worked on us at our family dinner table. We couldn't have our elbows on the table. I don't hear m many of these rules being, being instituted today in anybody's life. Couldn't have our elbows on the table. We had to learn which side of the plate the fork went on and the knife and the spoon and where the glass went, where the, where the, the, the bread plate went. We had to learn how to put placemats under the, the, the plate. We had to learn which side the napkin went on. We had to learn to, to chew with our mouths closed. We had to learn to make sure that one hand was in our lap while the other did this. And we had to learn how to hold a fork. And we didn't hold a fork like we held a baseball bat. We held a fork like we held a pencil. And that's the way you did it. Now, Mama beat this into us talked this into us, routined us in, this into us day after day after day after day after day. And she wouldn't let us break it. If our elbows were on the table, get your elbows off the table. We're talking about lunch, y'all. Sandwiches and chips, get your elbows off the table. That was mom. Paul's trying to help the church at Philippi understand something about prayer etiquette. There's a way you need to approach God. You can't just come talking to him. He's God Almighty. He's not like us. He's not, he's not your buddy. What's up? You have to approach him in a certain way. You've got to make sure that you treat him with respect. Ecclesiastes helps us at some points. It helps us with some good theology at one or two points. Other points in Ecclesiastes, you can't, you can't take good theology out of Ecclesiastes and, and begin to live by it. Ecclesiastes is not meant for that. It's a lesson on what happens to a man who gets depraved in his mind and leaves God and then tries to come back in a hurry. Solomon was good for the first 20 years. Nobody better. Best king who ever was. Smartest, wisest who ever lived. But the last 20, really bad. Departed from God, went the wrong way. 
He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, I did not withhold one pleasure from myself. I gave myself as much as I wanted to to anything I possibly could just to see whether God's gift and he would still be with me. So he went out there. He was way out there, way over the line. And then at the end of his life, he realized, okay, I've had enough. And he tried to come back. The problem is when you get out there that long, you can't just come back. Now, it's not that God won't receive you. He'll receive you. But you can't come back like you were. Something's messed up. Your wiring's all wrong. You're too polluted in your thinking. Your soul is contaminated with a whole lifestyle of sin. You can't just come back and assume that you're going to be exactly as you were before. You need some rehabilitation. You need some deliverance. You need some help. He didn't get any of that. And so in trying to to bring credibility to his own life, he entitles his second book, his first was Proverbs, Brilliant. There were some other writers in Proverbs, but he did the bulk of it. Brilliant. Ecclesiastes, you know what the mean, meaning of Ecclesiastes means? He, he titled it. It means the preacher. Generally, if you have to print up a card that says apostle on it, you probably aren't. If you've got to tell people what you do, you probably are lacking in your skill set. And he had to, had to let people know, I'm a preacher now. Everybody say, you king and we can't say no. Mm. And the whole book is vanity. Everything is vanity. Nothing makes sense. What's the point of living? And it's to show what happens to a man when he leaves God and doesn't get deliverance and coming back. His mind gets a little warped. And he only looks at stuff that happens under the sun. He doesn't see things above. And that's why he says, I have seen evil done under the sun. Everything under the sun is vanity. Under the sun. He's not talking about an eternal perspective. He's talking about what happens here. And if you only look at it from here, it never makes any sense. But every once in a while, you can find a little bit of good theology in there. And here's a passage. I think it's in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, when you come into the presence of God, when you come into his house, when you approach him, know these things, that God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. Don't be this. He's not, you are not a very good conversationalist, by the way. You're not so good that God has to say, oh, oh, everybody else stop. I got to listen. You just don't know how to communicate that well. You don't understand how he thinks. You're at a very different level and he has to stoop down mentally to be able to, to communicate with you. With me. So, so Solomon says, when you come into his presence, shut up. Don't begin talking. Don't let your lips start, just start flapping. Try to listen. Because he is God Almighty and he might have a different perspective that will help you know what you ought to say in his presence. Oh, we need some good prayer etiquette. Yeah. Emily Post would help. Emily was, uh, she's a, the, the, the author, if you will, the, the mama of American etiquette and how to do what you ought to do, how to, how to be at a state dinner, how to eat right, how to speak to people when you greet them, how you need to posture yourself, how you need to walk. Emily Post, I'm dating myself. She was big in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Paul says, when you approach God in prayer, Make sure anxiety is far from you. Anxiety is 
is that which is, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a synonym for a fear response. Anxiety doesn't have faith in it at all. Now, we Christians, we like to use different words to make sure that we're not violating some biblical command. So when we talk about how we feel about something, we don't say we're anxious about it. We say we're concerned. <laughs> that way it makes it feel better. It sounds better because we know worry is not something we need to practice because God's on the throne and why should we ever worry? He's in charge. We shouldn't let a circumstance sway us from our moorings. We, we need to trust him at all times. But the problem is we don't know where the concern should stop and where the worry shouldn't start. We don't have the lines as clear as they need to be. And so we bleed right on in to anxiety and fear. We ought to be concerned about things, but there is a proper way to express our concern. And anxiety is not it. Jesus told the disciples regarding worry, and worry is a synonym for anxiety. He said, don't worry about anything. You, what, what will worry do for you? Will it add a cubit to your height? Are you able to change the number of hairs on your head by worry? Can you add some? What will worry do for you? And then he goes on to say, don't be anxious about anything. Look at the birds of the air. They don't harvest, nor do they store in the barns, yet your heavenly Father provides for them. Are you not worth much more than they? Don't be concerned about what you're going to eat. God can provide for you. If he provides for the birds, he will provide for you. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Look at the lilies of the field. Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like them. And yet tomorrow they're going to be plucked up and thrown into the fire. Don't you think God cares more about you than he does for the lilies of the field? Will he not provide for you your raiment? Everything that you need, your housing, what you need to wear. Therefore, do not worry yourself about these things because non-covenantal people do that for a living. Gentiles, that's what they do. They concern themselves only with getting all they possibly can and keeping all they can possibly get. They're not concerned about whether they can please the Father. They're not trying to figure out how they can accomplish his will in the earth and advance his cause. No, 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 no. Their job is everything under the sun. And so they're trying to get all they can and keep all they, they can get under the sun. Eagerly seeking after these things. But he says this, you who are covenantal, who, who, who have God as your daddy, he's your heavenly father, yeah, don't worry about it. Do not worry about it, because he provides for you. You, you seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be given to you. Now, I have yet to figure out why Christians don't just meditate on this passage and figure out how great of a deal that is. Okay? You can go seeking after the stuff, and you may or may not get it. But you definitely won't get him. 
Or you can seek after him, and he'll let you find him. And then he comes with the stuff. Now, I can't figure out why Christians just don't say, boy, that's a great deal. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Let me think now. If I seek after him, I get to him and the stuff. If I seek after the stuff, I might not get the stuff. But I definitely don't get him. He said, don't worry. This is how my God provides. And for some reason, we, we don't look at the natural things he gives us. I mean, we look at this passage and we say, well, that's a good passage. But we don't go outside and, and, and take note. Canadian geese minister to me. Every spring they fly in in the V and every fall they fly out in the V. And I sit there and watch them. And I think they're going to their provision right now. That's where they're going. They're going to their provision. They know exactly where the Father has provided, and they're going to their provision. And on the way to their provision, the Father has provided all that they need on their way. It's amazing. That's great. They minister to me. You've got to allow the, the examples of the Word to prompt you to faith. You are the quietest group I've had all day. Anxiety is not supposed to be a part of our makeup. Let me give you an example, one that's embarrassing to me. Um, this week I went to Costco. What am I saying this week? I live at Costco. <laughs> so I was there doing shopping for the family and helping out my wife and um, had my cart coming out of the store and I was talking on the phone to Cynthia. As I finished talking on the phone to Cynthia, I wrapped up my phone, which has a, a little wallet. It's got credit card and my ID in there and cash and my phone. It's all locked into one. I have to do things like this because I'm forgetful. So I've got to have everything in one spot so I don't have to think about all the things I've got to take out when I walk out my door. It helps me. Amen. So I've tried to, to manage my life to, to, to distill it down to just a few things I have to carry. And that's why I carry a man bag. It's not called a purse. It's a man bag. <laughs> <clears throat> so I had my little phone, and I finished talking, and I wrapped it up. And you know the little, uh, the little uh, space that you can push out from the cart that allow children to sit in that spot? Well, I put my phone right down there in that little plastic area. And I started pushing my car. I got to my car. I loaded all the stuff, put the stuff in the car. Then took the cart, put the cart right in the little spot where it's supposed to go like a good little citizen. Got in my car, drove off, started going down the road, down 50 on home. And I said, oh, wait, wait a minute. I got to make a telephone call. Reach my phone. No phone. You feeling me? Yeah. Feeling me? That moment of panic. Because everything is on your phone. I, I, my, my phone is just not one of those calling phones. It's smart. It has everything on my life, on my, on my phone, everything. And then I, I combined it with my wallet and, and my credit cards and my ID. And you, you're feeling me now. I'm driving down 50 the wrong way. Farther away I'm getting from my phone. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking around thinking, okay, where did I, where's my, did it drop down between the seats? So I'm looking while I'm driving. <laughs> anxiety. That's what anxiety feels like. Thoughts coming into your brain that are irrational. Not being able to manage all the ideas that you're trying to, to capture. Not finding God, not finding faith, not finding a good response. And I'm ashamed to say, I went through this for about 20 seconds. And then after 20 seconds, I said, ho, 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 
You've been here before. You've probably lost more stuff than you even know. And God has found it for you. I just know the stuff he has found that he let me know was lost. There's other stuff I didn't even know was lost. And he, it just appeared in the right spot. Somebody just picked it up and said, he's going to need this later. I said, Lord, you have been good to me. You've always been good to me. You cover me. Now, I'm not trying to be neglectful. I'm not trying to, to blame all of my forgetfulness uh, uh, and, 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 and push it off and say, I don't need to be responsible. But none of us are perfectly responsible in anything. And so I do the best I possibly can to make sure I hold on to my stuff. But every once in a while, I don't. And this is the beauty that, that I've got a covenantal father that's watching over my life. So as I was driving the wrong way, I stopped, composed myself, and I said, Lord, I thank you. You're going to watch over my stuff in my absence. So I made a U-turn, did not speed back to Costco, <laughs> drove the speed limit. Got in the parking lot, turned over to the place where all the carts were, where I pulled mine in, got out of my car, looked in the little place where you put the children in the plastic spot where I put my phone, and there was my phone. This, 15 minutes have passed now. 15 minutes have passed. Now, I know that may not be a big deal to you. It may not be a big deal to you, but to me, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. That's a game changer for the week. You don't want to start over with a new phone and credit cards and IDs. Yeah, yeah. Big deal. Yeah. But it's not so much that God found my phone, kept my phone. I'm grateful for that. But the lesson is remembering how faithful he has been. And I did not let anxiety, anxiety rule my response. As soon as it came, I reckon, oh, oh wait, no, no, that's, that's wrong. That's fear-based. I'm not going there. Not today. I am not going to repeat the fourth grade. I've already passed this. I've been through this before. There is no reason to believe that my God won't provide for me today as he did yesterday. Are you with me? Anxiety needs to be far from you. And listen, if my my 15-year-old daughter, Brooke, came to my bedroom on a Saturday morning at 9 o'clock and she was hollering, frantic, on her knees, grabbing my ankles as I sat on my couch. Say, Daddy, 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 I need breakfast! I need breakfast, Daddy! I need breakfast, I need breakfast, I need breakfast. Daddy, did did you get any eggs? Daddy, did you get any eggs? Did you get any milk, Daddy? What about the cereal? Daddy, did you get cereal? First thing I would say to this baby is, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Secondly, what about the last 15 years of my provision has made you think that breakfast won't be there today? What voices have you been listening to? Who have you been talking to? How have you ignored 15 years of 365 where breakfast has not failed to be on the table? How have you ignored that? Why has anxiety and fear taken over your soul? God has provided for you every day. Every day. Why do you let anxiety have any part in your prayer life? 
it is an affront to him. It's offensive to him that we would question whether he's going to provide for us when that's all he does. Resist anxiety. Secondly, we need, we need to make sure we request of God some things. One, we need to have a, a really good prayer life, regular and routine. Amen. He says, pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Pray. And the word there for prayer is prosuke, which is that kind of prayer which is routine. You need to have a routine in your prayer life. It needs to be, it needs to be regular. Your devotional life needs to be regular. You need to communicate with God every day, all day. Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. We need to be in constant communication with God. And, and, and praying without ceasing does not mean you talking all the time, as I said earlier. Do you, ever, do you know anybody that when you have a conversation with them, you don't? <laughs> they talk, you don't. You know those people? <laughs> Maybe you that person. What do you do when you see them in the mall, but they haven't seen you? <laughs> yeah, you go the other way. Because you know it's going to be a 30-minute moment. They like to talk, but they're not going to give you an opportunity to say anything. I have to think that some, sometimes God is tempted to do what we would do when we meet people like that, when he has to talk to us, but can't get a word in edgewise because we have an idea about what he needs to do for us. So we come in with our agenda, talking, 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 and we think we have prayed. Prayer is communication. It's conversation. It's not just a monologue. It's a dialogue. And let him do most of the talking. Prayer on the regular, filtering your entire life through Scripture so that he can weed out what shouldn't be there and let go through what should. Communicating with him all the time ought to be your, your state of mind. And then there is the other kind of prayer, the supplicatory prayer, where the word in the Greek is desis, which means you got to have something now. You, you, it's an urgent moment. You, you just can't wait. The Lord needs to show up in a hurry. Now, generally, in those moments, we feel the anxiety begin to, to rise in our soul, and fear is beginning to prompt us in our response to God rather than faith. And rather than us responding in faith, we sound like this when we pray. Oh, God, come and help. Please, God, come and help. Good words, wrong motivation, wrong spirit. Rather than sounding like this, Oh, God, come to help. Please, oh, God, come help. Same words, faith behind it. One is not quite sure whether the Lord's going to do it and you're scared to death. The other is, oh, I know you're going to do it. I'm just here being the conduit through which you can make it happen. I'm letting my faith be the activator on the earth so that your will can become here, can come here unimpeded. 
So when we begin to give supplication to God, that's what it ought to sound like. When your babies are sick and you know that the promise is healing, it shouldn't want to be, oh God, I want you to do. I realize tears may be a part of it, but tears because you love, not tears because you're scared. Tears that say, oh, God, I know your word says healing. I'm not going to let my baby suffer. Not today. I'm bringing your promises down to earth. I believe what you say. I'm a covenantal man. That's a covenantal baby. I believe your word is going to heal my baby now. That's the kind of supplication we need. Doesn't have anxiety in it. It's got faith. But you got to know your word. You got to know your promises. You got to know what God has already said. You got to know what he's already said so that you can repeat it back to him with confidence that he's going to do what he said because he doesn't lie. He always does what he says. He's a faithful God. So we supplicate. But, but we don't just have regular times of prayer and we, we don't just have urgent needs for prayer. We have to make sure that both of those are intentionally infused with the ingredient of thanksgiving. We've got to purposefully add thanksgiving to our prayer. It can't just be one of those times we do it on the fourth Thursday of of November, third Thursday of November. It can't be that. No, no, no. It's got to be a regular part of our life. And you need to be thankful. You, You need to start your prayer with thanksgiving. Spice it with thanksgiving in the middle and end it with thanksgiving. And generally speaking, if you begin to, 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 to give thanks, you run out of time because there are so many things for which you need to be thankful. You're, you're putting on your makeup in the car because you ran out of time. And you're still having to give them thanks in the car on the way to work. We think that we need to thank them only for the big things, like when we get a raise, promotion, new job. Finally found that good man. Oh, thanksgiving will flow then. But hear me. Unbelievers do that. And they use the, 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 uh, how do I say it? The unperson of, the, mm, it has no description with respect to personality. There's no pointing of worship. It's just, We all need to be thankful. To who? To who? If you're thankful, there's no force out there. That kind of karma, that appreciates your thanksgiving. Why are you thankful? Every human being has something on the inside of them that's supposed to respond with thanksgiving for the goodness that has been given to them. Why? Because God programmed us like that. It's one of the homing devices he's got on the inside of us that helps us know due north. How do we get back to him? The way we get back is that we understand we didn't get all this on our own. Nobody has anything except that which was given to them. And to whom, from whom was it given? Our God and Father. It wasn't a force. And forces aren't thank, forces aren't grateful for the thanksgiving. They're just forces. No personality. We need to be thankful, not just for the big stuff, but do do you know that bus didn't hit you yesterday? Didn't hit you. 
you didn't get you didn't get a deadly disease yesterday. No plague came upon you. Huh. Your boss didn't fire you yesterday. Hmm. Your wife didn't leave you yesterday. You ever read Job? Once. That's about all y'all want to read Job is once. You know what the story of Job is? A man goes through difficult things. But it's a story of, of a man who for a period in time simply has God's protection lifted. That's all it is. See, the devil is working constantly to try to kill you. He hates you. He hates you because some of you are doing everything you possibly can to try to, to destroy his kingdom and build God's. And so you're a threat to him, and he wants you taken out. So he's going to do what he can. But, but his, his sole focus in life, John 10.10 says, is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's all he does every day. So if his focus, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, why are you still here? If he hates you, and his whole goal is to steal everything you've got, to kill you and to utterly destroy your soul in hell why has that not happened to you he's the god of this world system he's controlling a lot of stuff why hasn't it happened to you it says that god was there and the devil came before him and god said have you seen my boy Job?" that's Brett's paraphrase you seen my servant Job? he's amazing <sighs> righteous blameless nobody like him devil said yeah the only reason he's like that is because you have a hedge around him and I can't get to him God said okay I'll lift it yeah you lift that hedge he'll curse you to your face God lifted the hedge Job wound up blessing him when he lost everything devil came to God again God said you seen my servant Job see you, you incited me against him and he, you, you did some stuff and he's still praising me yeah, that's because you won't let me touch his flesh. You let me touch his flesh. Make him sick, he'll curse you to your face. God said, okay, I'll let you try it. You can't kill him, though. can't have his life. The only reason the devil was not able to go further is because God didn't let him. The only reason you are here is because God has a hedge around you every day. Every day. Every moment. Maybe, maybe that can be a prompt for some things that you didn't know you needed to be thankful. Like breathing. It's not a bad benefit. Start there. Work your way up. When you add the ingredient of thanksgiving, to an orderly prayer life and a prayer life that is constantly infused with faith when you have urgent needs and you have deleted anxiety from the, from the atmosphere and you have appropriately and mannerly come to him you build an on-ramp to some protective forces in your life he says when you do this then peace shows up and Paul is ascribes personal characteristics to this character trait. Yes. 
Peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. So it's a character trait that we are to develop in our life. But Paul, for the first time here, ascribes personality to it. And he says, and peace will come and guard your heart and your mind. Peace will act as a sentry. That's the, it's a military term. Somebody who is appointed to watch a certain spot and make sure that the enemy does not get in and nothing that's in there gets out. Sentry. Peace will take up its stand against everything that tries to bring anxiety to your soul. It'll guard your heart and your mind. And it's a peace, he says, that surpasses all understanding. Another word for surpass there that is also used in the Greek in some translations is superior. A peace that is superior to understanding. Meaning, the circumstances that you're facing tell you one thing. You need to be afraid. You need to to make sure that all your ducks are in a row perfectly because I don't know if God is going to fix this. You need to act now. You need, to, you need to fix it with your own might and strength. You need to get out there and make it happen. And because you don't, you don't have a firm foundation that is moored in Scripture, you begin to respond in ways that you shouldn't. Amen. The circumstances are telling you one thing. But then when, see, peace comes and you're facing your circumstances with the environment of prayer that is contextualized in thanksgiving and with no anxiety... Peace comes, and peace sits there in your soul, and it rests in your mind and guards your heart and your mind and your thoughts like a sentry. And although everybody else says, you need to do something, you're saying, no, not really. You need to respond. No, 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 I got this. The Lord's on the case. I got complete confidence he's going to fix this. I'm not talking about inactivity. I'm talking about supernatural activity. That you are responding in faith. The disciples were told by Jesus, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Mark chapter 3. And they got in the boat, started going. Got to the middle of the Galilee Sea. Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, the storm came up out of no place. Furious. The disciples started bailing. Water was filling the boat. They couldn't bail faster than the water was coming in. They were sinking, and they were screaming and hollering. Jesus was on the boat. He said, we are going to the other side. But, but, but Jesus wasn't helping. He didn't lift a finger, didn't pick up a bucket, not a cup. No water was put over the side by Jesus. In fact, he was asleep. Now, they had been bailing for a long time. They looked at Jesus, went over to him, said, do you not care that we are perishing? I imagine Jesus said, we who? I mean, it's not in text. I'm just thinking in his mind, we who? I ain't perishing. I'm not going down. I got a purpose here. I said we're going to the other side. What about this storm has nullified what I said? I said we're going to the other side. See, when everybody else is losing, they're cool. Peace allows you, because it is standing guard over your mind, all the thoughts that would come against you, and allowing your heart to express faith now. Peace is standing guard, and it will not let you falter. And because you've got that, 
it requires that you respond differently than everybody else. Amen. Jesus responding to Peter, got up, went to the bow of the boat, and said, shh, to the winds and to the waves. And immediately the wind stopped, the waves stopped. He said, hush, be still. The disciples, dripping wet, huffing and puffing, because they had been bailing for hours, looked at Jesus and literally they said, who are you? Who are you? I don't know anybody who has the winds in the sea of him. Who are you? And Jesus didn't respond. What he said was this. I got a question for you. Where did your faith go? You believed me when I said we were going to the other side to such an extent that you got in the boat. You had faith in what I said, that we were going to the other side. What about the storm? Did anything to change what I said? I said we were going to the other side. We're going to the other side. Do not let circumstances, don't let adverse conditions, don't let obstacles stop you from the place God has called you to go. You've got a destiny in your life. This is why we as Christians should have the privilege of looking in the face of storms and not cowering one bit because we know what our God has said. He said we're going to the other side and there's nothing about this circumstance that is going to stop what he said. Are you listening to me? I'm not just talking about the other side of getting you to glory and to heaven. I'm talking about the other side of where you are right now. There's another side to your circumstance. You're going to get through this thing. But if you do it without faith, you lose the privilege of growth. Amen. The disciples, you know what they could have done? You know what their best response would have been? We're bailing. He's sleeping. He ain't going to die. It looks like we all going to die. But he ain't going to die. I've been with him long enough to know he ain't going to die. So James, John, Andrew, Philip, I'm going to sleep with him. Y'all can keep bailing. Because this don't make no sense to me. I know, I know what I'm saying. It doesn't make any sense to me in my mind. I got it. But it, it makes less sense for us to bail when he's not. So I'm going to do what he's doing. Because as long as I stay with him, I'm going to be okay. I don't know how. I might be six feet under the water, but I'll be with him. These are the, this, this is the superior characteristic of peace that goes beyond understanding. When you pray right, when you pray without anxiety, when you have a good, consistent prayer life, when you're basing your prayer life on what the Bible has already said, you're in this word constantly, you're listening to his voice, you want to be able to hear what he's got to say and then do what he's got to say. When you supplicate the way you should, not with anxiety and fear, but with faith. When you're crying out to him, trying to bring the promises and blessings down, and when you combine all of that with thanksgiving, you bring it on ramp so that peace can come into your soul and you live differently. You're not normal anymore. You're not normal. And not only do you live differently, but at some point you might get to the place where Jesus was. That not only are you responding differently to the circumstances that you, you see because you know your God is able to fix anything that's wrong, but the peace on the inside of you 
just might change the circumstances outside of you. Why was Jesus able to calm the storm? Because he had calm in here. All he did was transfer what was in here out there. No telling how many circumstances will change as a result of what's on the inside of you. Let's pray the kind of prayers that God hears. Father in heaven, we love you. There's nobody like you. Help us to talk to you like this, to communicate with you like this, to listen to you like this. Please, 